My name's Rad, and I want to tell you about the Transformers. My curiosity is aroused. Welcome back to another Transformerific episode of Transformers Tuesdays, the show where we talk about Transformers all the time, every time. And this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, one of your hosts for tonight. And joining me tonight is one of my fellow Transformers enthusiasts. Why don't you give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, it's Mike, and is there a Cybertronian word for love? Uh, apparently not. Unless that means you just become somebody's headmaster, and then somebody else becomes somebody <laughs> else's master, and then you, like, extend, like, ramps and, like, tongue-kiss each other or whatever. Maybe that's the <laughs> Cybertronian word for love. But, yeah. I guess so, yeah. So, I guess what we are here to discuss tonight, this is kind of like a an epilogue, I guess, if you will, because we've we've actually covered in chunks the 13-issue Transformers versus G.I. Joe maxi-series, I guess you'd call it, by Tom Scioli. And so we, you know, we kind of did it in chunks according to how some of the trades were solicited. And it turns out there is a follow-up to that 13-issue maxi-series, and it's actually called Transformers vs. G.I. Joe, the movie, the official comic book adaptation, and it's actually touted as the comic book adaptation that you didn't know that you wanted or needed. And I guess the, the setup for it is the 13-issue Transformers vs. G.I. Joe miniseries is a comic book that we've read, and this is the movie adaptation comic book of the movie that was based on that 13-issue maxi-series that has never been released. So that's essentially what we're looking at today. It's, it's pretty much a one-shot, and it is a kind of lightningly quick, very superficial retelling of the 13 issue maxi series in about what like 20 something pages like so yeah. that's, that's basically what what this is kind of like insane like the thought process that went into this is kind of like insane i don't like tom skeely is trying to recapture like an art form that's like in comics that's kind of extinct which is like you know the movie adaptation yeah, yeah, I mean, in, in today, you know, that's that's what is often touted, you know, in today's age of, you know, DVDs and, and Blu-rays that come out three months after a film is released in the theater, there there is no market for a movie adaptation. But, like, when, when I was a kid, or even when you were a kid, there, you know, there, there'd be periods of months or years before a movie you saw that you fell in love with at the movie theater would be released. So having these movie adaptations 
would be conceivably, you know, the one of the only ways you could relive that experience. But this is this is kind of a metatextual way of I don't know, revisiting that era of storytelling, I guess, you know, because, you know, obviously there is no movie, you know, but yet it's like he's pretending somebody made a movie adaptation out of his miniseries, and then he's actually doing the comic adaptation of it. But it, it's interesting because, I mean, I guess we'll get into it, but, you know, there there's specific things that, that he seems to focus on, you know, within the span of this, you know, 20-something-odd uh, pages. And then there's, there's I think, some of the best stuff is all the little extra, like, articles and write-ups, the kind of phony sort of promotional material for the film that is in the back of the the issue. Yeah, I loved all, like, the, the credits list and, like, the names of the actors and all that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Opti- Optimus Prime is played by O. Ryan Paxton. Yeah, like that. He's a great Shakespearean actor. The great Shakespearean actor, O. Ryan Paxton. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. So, do you want to do do you, you want to kind of give uh, give the listeners the rundown of of you know sort of yeah. what exactly happens in this in this one off one shot movie adaptation? Yeah, I, I will just read the TF Wiki's uh, synopsis of the plot because you know it's easier than writing my own. Long ago, in the ancient past, the Autobots and Decepticons came to Earth and were worshipped as gods. Viking warrior Aberneth the Hawk-Helmed fought alongside the Autobots in their war, armed with a warhammer made using their technology, but he was eventually slain by the man who would become Destro, an evil warlord who sold his soul to to the Decepticons in return for technology that made him immortal. In the present day, Aberneth's Warhammer rests in the hands of his descendant Hawk, one of the generals in charge of America's highly trained special mission force, G.I. Joe. Soon after, the team welcomes new member Scarlet aboard. The metal planet of Cybertron appears in the solar system on a trajectory that takes it dangerously close to Earth. The Joes are deployed to the alien world to investigate where they learn of the war between the two Cybertronian factions and ally themselves with the Autobots. Unfortunately, the Decepticons gain human allies of their own in the Joe's enemies, the ruthless terrorist organization Cobra. Scarlet finds herself growing close to the Autobot leader Optimus Prime, but both are wounded in an enemy attack that sees Optimus Prime decapitated and his matrix of leadership stolen by the Decepticon god Emperor Megatron. Scarlet is captured and taken with Prime's severed head to the Decepticon city of Scorponok, where brainwashing sessions carried out by Dr. Venom attempt to convince her that the existence of G.I. Joe and the Transformers is a delusion. Scarlet sees through these mind games and manages to escape, rejoining the other Joes and Autobots. She undergoes binary bonding to link with Optimus's body and replace his lost head and in this new form leads the United Heroes' charge against their enemies. During the final battle, Snake Eyes boards Starscream and attempts to stab his pilot, Cobra Commander, but is stopped by the Decepticon's arms, which emerge from his jet mode to grab the ninja's blade. 
Hawk claims vengeance for his ancestor by shattering the Technogem medallion that sustains Destro, ending his life. The Scarlet-controlled Optimus then defeats Megatron in battle, resulting in a tense standoff between the now leaderless two factions. Representatives from both sides recover Optimus Prime's head and reattach it to his body, restoring him to life and bringing the war to an end. Cobra Commander almost slips away from the hero's celebrations, but his parachute is snatched out of the air by Wheeljack, and each of the Joes take a turn punching him as he dangles in front of them. Roadblock socks the Commander so hard that his mask shatters, revealing a face that Snake Eyes is shocked to recognize. The face of his father! The end. So yeah, that's, uh, you know, Transformers vs. G.I. Joe, A New Hope, or whatever. So, essentially, like like we've been saying, I mean, this is kind of a crazy, streamlined, and, and I did use the word superficial, and I don't think the comic is superficial, but I, I think it's a, you know, maybe an indictment or a criticism of Hollywood movie adaptations of original source material, you know, the way they try to, you know, condense it into this kind of fast food, edible consumption, entertainment, happy meal for the mass public, you know, because like you, you look at all these different things. I mean, it's like, it's like, think of it like you've got a rich history you know, in the 13-issue miniseries that deals with the histories of Destro and, and Hawk. And essentially, it's tantamount to, you know, the introduction of, like, the Green Lantern movie, where it's like, there's 3,600 of these guys, and shit goes down, and they live on Oa. All right, now we're going to tell you about the movie. You know, and it's kind of like the same thing here, where they, they just kind of, you know, clue you into the whole, you know, Viking Scotsman ancestry stuff. They kind of give that to you on like the first page. And then it, you know, of course doesn't come up again until Destro and Hawk have to have like a final showdown with one another, you know? So it's very, it's, it's the core beats of his maxi series, but at a, like I said, at a very kind of, superficial level that doesn't really delve too much into it and then you know what i kind of find is the irony in that and and that extends to a lot of other things but i'm just bringing that up as like maybe a hyper specific example where you you could tell three or four movies worth of stuff with all the story skilly laid down in the 13 issue miniseries but yet they cram it all into a single movie conceivably, right? Based on this adaptation of the fictional movie that we've never seen. Right. And then when they get to the end of it, it's almost like they're leading you into a sequel. Like they're, they're basically priming you, pumping you to say like, did you like this? Well, we can give you some more of it, but then it's like, they've already, sort of condensed what story there was, you know? So it's like, it's like, the, it's kind of like that, that snake eating its own tail thing, you know, the whole, like, you know, how, how many times can you tell Wolverine's story of being a, you know, a loner berserker who doesn't fit in with a team. And then he finally gets accepted by a team, 
before you kind of realize like oh they're just telling the same you know the it's like it's as like many it's, as many times as fox can to maintain the license right right exactly right but y- you know what i mean but that's that that that's kind of like those things that it, it's it's to me it's interesting because i can see a lot of you know sort of either either he's 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 kindly poking fun at the industry or at the very least there's there's kind of like you know subtle clever indictments of of how things go down i mean he even mentions like in, in his own you know write up on you know the i guess i don't know if you call it a director's cut but when he's going through the the interviews like he often did in this maxi series talking about what him and barber had come up with and he sort of goes page by page when you come to the it's interesting because in this the climactic battle is on cybertron and so you've got the sequence with snake eyes starscream and cobra commander piloting starscream at the end of the film whereas it's actually the first piece in the first issue of the 13 issue maxi series but in this case you know snake eyes does not get his face disfigured by cobra commander and and snake eyes doesn't kill cobra commander in the first issue because they they totally turn it on its head and have you know starscream you know pull the whole you know, palm catch of, of Snake Eyes' katana or whatever and, and stop that from going down. But he even mentions in, in that sort of after talk, he's like, that was a direct... I mean, that's very metatextual. It's, it was a direct response to the, the outcry, the criticism that he probably saw online from the first issue where he basically chose to tweak that sequence just in response to something he saw you know after the fact and and you know that 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 conceivably is something a movie studio would do right they would say oh you know what this this tracks better you know that that starscream catches the katana blade and all this other stuff so we're gonna we're gonna do it that way you know like it doesn't it doesn't you know this this doesn't you know work as well with all the twitter people or all the you know, Tumblr crowd or, you know, whatever it is that, you know, this doesn't track well with our, with our demographic. So we're going to, we're going to tweak it so it fits. Yeah. And then you've got things like, you know, Hawk lives in the movie adaptation where he died in the comic and he's the one who kills Destro. Where in, you know, the movie adaptation, in the comic, it was Duke who killed Destro. Right, right. There's there's lots of, there's lots of streamlining of that. I mean, I mean, I think Scarlet's a good example of that because I mean, I, I would argue Scarlet is the protagonist of the movie, right? The film, yeah. quote unquote. And it seems like to me, it, what's interesting is they they play with the notion, although it you know it doesn't seem to be dealt with with any real sense of significance. But you know, mainly in like that little interview article at the back they talk about oh you know i've got a you know you know people want to see me with snake eyes people want to see me with duke and uh, you know and some people want me to fall in love with optimus prime you know and like you know what that reminded me of is it's like okay well you've got 
you've got the the comic book people who read the Larry Hama series that want to see Scarlet with snake eyes. You've got the cartoon people who watch the Sunbow cartoon who see her with Duke. And then you've got that whole cover girl fucking Mary's brawn subplot or whatever in the 13 issue miniseries for all the Tumblr crowd. And so like it's like they they've amalgamated all that into one thing. They've streamlined it so it applies to just Scarlet and just the protagonist. And I also think it's interesting in this day and age of like, oh, we've got, you know, Ray and the Force Awakens and everybody's going to the movies to see Wonder Woman and it's such a great thing and yada, yada, yada. It's like here you've got this essentially a a, fran- a set of franchises, a pair of franchises that are designed to be toys for boys, but yet the lead protagonist that you see everything through the eyes of is this strong female protagonist in Scarlet. I also, I'd also thought it was funny that like when the, the series opens, Scarlet is already a like longstanding member of GI Joe, but in the movie, she's like the newbie. Like, it's mm. like she has to well, be the ground. Yeah. She has well, to be well, the that, ground that's... floor character. She is the ground floor character. And, 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 you know, it's, that's, that's part of the whole, you know, if, if you read any of these books on screenwriting and everything, you know, it's like that's why she's the protagonist. She's the person you meet in the first four minutes of the movie. She's the one who has a character arc who goes from being a totally, you know, NFG, you know, in, in G.I. Joe to being like the baddest badass there is by the end of it. You know, like she's a she's she's Prime's headmaster. I mean, you know, like that's that 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 is total you know screenwriting 101 type you know shenanigans and trickery right there you know um the the other thing too is back to that whole streamlined aspect i mean duke was the one who was the nfg in the first issue of transformers and gi joe and then became you know kind of like the 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 grizzled veteran maybe by the second issue where we were going through the the generational aspect of the toy lines and stuff like that. But in this case, it's like, that's something that aspect of Duke being one of the new kids on the block is grafted onto Scarlet too. And that's another example of, you know, sort of a, you know, toys for boys, male protagonist trait being grafted onto uh, a female protagonist because of, you know, current, trends in popularity which is something that a movie studio would do you know like they 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 would see like oh look wonder woman made a bunch of money look you know ray is you know the the lead character in the force awakens like well we got to have our own ray you know it's like well who's our ray it's scarlet you know so it's like there's a lot of that kind of stuff that i got a, a sense of um yeah, I mean that's that that that's kind of you know, it, and it was interesting to hear like the the end sequence described, you know, where where they've got Cobra Commander dangling from this parachute that got caught, and all the Joes taking their turn like beating the crap out of them, and they they described that or Scioli describes that as like the end of um, Death Proof. You know, like where they all take turns, all the chicks take turns, like beating the crap out of Kurt Russell or whatever. And like, I was just kind of like, huh, that's I I didn't even think of it when I was reading it. But I I see exactly what he's saying, you know, like and I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of like that weird 
I don't know. Like, it, it, I guess it makes sense that I felt weird reading those last two pages. And I also think the ending of Death Proof is kind of weird. You know, like, so I, I, I feel like if that was his goal, like he was he was successful. I don't know that it you know, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know that it necessarily worked for for this piece per se, I love you know, that. like. I was, I was speaking of that last scene. I, I love that, like, you know, not not only, you know, the, the uh, Cobra Commander is Snake Eyes father like thing is in play. But like uh, there's so much going on with that, because like in the credits, it says Cobra Commander is played by William with Wiki, you know, so like right, sp- right. spark spark plug. And then, like, at the end of the, the comic series, it was revealed that Snake Eyes is a Witwicky. So, like, you know, that would... Sparkplug would be his father, basically. Right, And then, right. like, and you take it even further, uh, Chris Lotta voiced both Sparkplug and Cobra Commander. So it's like... <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, the insane, yeah. like, detail and, lo- like, attention to, like, detail and logic go- going in that is kind of, like, awesome. Come, join me and rule! Dad, you're not like the Decepticons! Then you will fight against your own father. When next we meet, we are enemies! You know, and you, you could you could also apply it to that that the logic of like the the streamlining from Hollywood as well, because it's like you notice Billy is nowhere to be found in this. The, the subtlety or the nuance that is, you know, Cobra Commander's true son from the source material. So it's like, well, how do we streamline this and get the same point across? It's like, well, Storm or uh, Snake Eyes is a ninja. It's like, well, we'll just have him be the son of Cobra Commander. I mean, to me, that's something that's a total hack-ass fucking thing that some Hollywood (laughs) screenwriter would come up with and think, like, oh, I'm so brilliant, and pats themselves on the back and takes, like, this big, you know, hundred grand check for fucking shitting all over somebody's hard work, you know? Like, and it's like, that that to me makes total sense, you know? Like, it, it makes complete and total sense that that's what they would come up with, you know? E- even your favorite part of the original miniseries, which I think is the whole aspect of Scarlet kind of going through the, the, the psych ward, basically, and it's like, it's funny how that's, like, condensed to two pages, and that's like the, a whole issue of the the original miniseries, you know. And 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 you know, for for what was Scioli's like secret discovery, you know, his favorite character, Doctor Venom. I mean, like Doctor Venom's on you know three of those panels, you know, like in the two pages. And it's like it's funny how a character that got so much play in that original miniseries is basically you know condensed down to two pages basically it's it's almost like he's a day play you know so it's it's him instead of like mindbender too like in that yeah so you know um speaking of the cast list like what what did you think about like because they 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 talk about some of this in the the sort of phony promotional articles but like what did you make of like they, they specifically address the casting of Megatron because Megatron is played by himself. 
because apparently, according to the phony promotional material, Megatron is a artificial cybernetic life form that was created just for this movie to act in it. And, like, that is pretty wild and crazy in and of itself. But did they... I didn't catch this if they gave any allusions to it, but did you notice that Zartan is also played by himself? <laughs> yeah. I was like, so you like what? I was I was kind of wondering about that. Like I I don't know. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, there, you know, we are fans, but you know, some sometimes there might be things, you know, logic that eludes us because I I don't know if I know if there is a logic behind that. You know, like is there a logic behind Zartan having played himself? If that makes any, I don't know. You know? I don't know. Like he, he has a, he's a master of disguise, so he's mm, just I mm. don't know. Like I don't know what he was going for there, but maybe maybe he's an artificial intelligence too. Like yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I I did find that kind of amusing because it's like they they go to great lengths to say that Optimus Prime is played by a real actor in a suit, and like it, it it's almost like. Scioli is is kind of putting his own wish list into what he'd like to see happen in movies, even though I think it will never happen in movies. Like the the idea that like that he he makes this commentary on how they did all this digital preparation, but none of the sets were CGI; that they were all built and you know, real, and if they could avoid using, you know, digital stuff, they did, and they only used it when they needed it. I mean, the the only the only instance I can think of that comes even close to that being a reality is, like, some of the stuff that was done in the Lord of the Rings films. But, I mean, even the Hobbit stuff, I mean, at some point, they, you know, you, you could tell they got away from all that. I mean, eventually, a lot of it just became green screen CGI kind of stuff, you know? So I, I don't know, but it's, it, it, it's, it's a very kind of naive and idealized version of, of what one creative person would like to see happen with films. But I mean, that's, that's all that I really, I mean, that, that was, that was the underlining essence of what I got out of some of those promotional you know, phony promotional materials that were in the rear of the, the, the piece, which I, I think I got more of a kick out of those, like reading those articles than I did out of reading the issue itself. Yeah, I can, I can agree with that. I mean, the issue itself was like, you know, it's, 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 it was kind of like reading something like almost experimental, but like all the, the supplementary stuff was actually like more like new material, I guess. Hmm. Like, I, I thought it was funny how, you know, you're talking about the, the actor, the Shakespearean actor, Orion Paxton. But, like, I think I think one of my favorite parts was, like, the interviewer asks, like, how how familiar was he with the character of Optimus Prime? And, and, and it's, like, this total Hollywood answer where it's, like, it's, like, he's, like, well, I was, I was born just a hair too early to to really get into Optimus Prime and the Transformers on the ground floor. And my children were born a little too late for me to be 
you know, have a familiar experience with the original character. But then he goes on to say, but I watch Rescue Bots with my grandchildren, so I was already familiar with the character. You know, it's just like, I don't know, it cracks me up. Like, that whole (laughs) thing kind of cracks me up. Yeah, and then he goes on to say, like, and oh, and I read, like, everything available on the character. And I'm like, I'm like, I, that's kind of like when you hear that from an actor, you're like, I'm sure you did. Like, right, like you right. know, maybe you read a Cliff Notes version of everything available, but. I, I thought it was funny how they talked about, like, how they would use, like, he, he talks about how they, they would use old school special effects. Like, you know, they talk about you know, how they used similar techniques to the film Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, but done in a modern context. And that, you know, seemed like to me like the ultimate in, you know, sort of wish lists from a a creative professional on, on how you would like to see films done. Like, if you just took this, but did this in a modern context, and it's like, these days, I don't think anybody would use the techniques of, somebody like Ray Harryhausen or, you know, the, the, the kind of films that he's pointing to and try to pra- modernize pra- the practical techniques. effects aren't so practical anymore. Like, yeah, well, not, not, not for, not, not for these guys. I mean, y- you know, what's funny is if you don't, it's like, I, I don't know. One of the things that, you know, I know I had some teachers that would always just to say, you know, you you have to use your technique. You have to hone your skills. You know, basically, you have to use them on a daily basis. It's kind of like, you know, when people talk about learning a language, it's like you can learn a language, but if you don't use it on a daily basis, you're going to lose some of your edge with that language. And it's the same thing with, like, skills. And it's also, I would think, the same thing applies to Hollywood techniques and special effects like there there were certain guys who you know I mean how many people are gonna make you know claymation special effects these days like not too many right because there's all these guys working on digital stuff now right so it's like you've got all the digital guys who do it day in and day out and they probably are going to get better and better and better at it but when you start talking about some of these older effects you know like you know, it's like, it's easy to say, well, do what Lon Chaney Jr. did. But it's another thing to actually do it in a modern context and have it be successful and or exceed what Lon Chaney Jr. did. Do you know what I mean? I mean, that guy like suffered because he stuck all this dentures and weird shit in his face. So he had like, you know, the phantom looking face and all this kind of stuff, you know, but it's like, it's like, you can read about that and, and, um, you know, maybe it's simple to just say, Hey, do it this way, you know, do it like this guy did it, but it's another thing to actually do it and, and, and sort of have the hubris that like, Oh, well, you know, he did it 80, 90, almost 90 years ago. Right. He was doing it. And it's like, you're, you're sitting there going, well, it's 90 years later. Like our modern advances should make it so much more cooler, but that might necessarily not be the case because we don't, you know, nobody's honed that skill. Nobody's been doing it every single day. You know, nobody's been, uh, I guess to use the, the common analogy, nobody's been doing their uh, 
free throws, you know, their free throw practices and everything. So now they get a bunch of rim shots instead of, uh, you know, you know, swooshes in the basket or whatever, you know, like that kind of thing. Originally, that stuff was like out of necessity and stuff. So trying to do it purposefully, like is kind of, I don't know, like maybe there's even like a little like a lack of that that spark of like necessity to it you know what you know what that reminded me of was i don't know if you've ever seen this or not and this is kind of a tangent but when when they when peter jackson remade king kong which i did not go see because i was in my whole anti-remake phase which i'm still kind of pretty much still in although i've broken that rule a couple times but like that was when that film came out. I mean, that was at the the height, the peak of my I don't see remakes. So I was never going to go watch that movie. And I, to be honest, I never have. And like when that came out, though, a lot of DVDs and specials and things on, you know, the original Kong and, you know, I, and I ended up getting, I think, this three pack where it was like King Kong, Son of Kong and Mighty Joe Young. And in the King Kong DVD, there was this special feature where, you know, if you're familiar with King Kong, there's a sequence that is, I guess, cut from the film or, you know, was just never shot or, you know, whatever the the apocryphal kind of tale is. But basically there's a sequence where there's these giant spiders and they fall off this little log bridge and there's this whole sequence with the giant spider. And, you know, for a long time, you know, people had talked about it. It was spoken in whispers and magazines and they didn't know if the footage was real or fake or whatever. It was, you know, this footage that was lost to time and all this other stuff. But what, uh, what Weta and Jackson's company tried to do was they, they basically reproduced it as an exercise where like it was the special feature on the DVD and it wasn't part of the movie or anything like that, but it was just like, if we used the technology they had at the time, could we reproduce what conceivably they might have done to make this, you know, fall off the log bridge spider sequence or whatever. And so they did it. And it's like, it looked cool and everything like that, but it's like one of those things where it almost seems like they're saying films should be made like they tried to remake that spider sequence. And, like, I don't know that I, like like what you're saying, like, I don't know that I necessarily, I mean, I, I appreciate the sentiment behind it and, and, you know, possibly they may have educated themselves about certain things, but I don't know that that's a way to constant. I mean, I, I don't think that solution is the end all be all for every single film in every single instance. Yeah. Like I, I agree with that. Like, it, I don't know. I feel like when you're, you're, you're trying to do something that you're not sure will work or you have a safety net or something, it, 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 like you're going to end up with a different result. And I, I don't know, it's, I, it's almost something that can't be recaptured, even even though you, you, you attempt to, you know, replicate right. the experiment right. with the same parameters and stuff, but there's still that sort of spark of desperation, you know, that, that you can't recapture. So, I mean, w- what that reminded me of a lot are those comic book series where they try to continue where certain famous runs left off, where you've got, like, 
you know, for instance, like X-Men Forever, where they tried to pick up after Claremont's famous X-Men run ended. And, you know, you, you can't really recapture that because you're not really back in 1991 and there are a whole different set of parameters when he gets to tell the story again in you know 2011 or you know wherever they pick up from so you know i agree with you on that because i think it's it's something that you're there are different variables in play and you'll never be able to recapture something that was lost technically it's a fun idea it's an interesting idea i think that's why a lot of people like to go back to those eras where they tell stories like say you know batman 66 and tell more adam west batman stories but when you put so many specifics behind it and say well this is going to pick off exactly where season three of Batman left off or whatever, you know, it's, it's like one of those things where I can see the appeal to it. You know, I can see the appeal to, you know, John Byrne as a creator wanting to do X-Men, the hidden years and fill in the gaps between the, you know, Neil Adams, Roy Thomas era of X-Men and the all new, all different Claremont era of X-Men. But, you know, there there's always going to be that notion that, like, you, you, you can't go home again, you know, so you can't really tell the stories they would have told had the series not gone into reprints. Yeah, it's definitely, like, a sort of version of that. No, but, I mean, I guess the very, the very, like, you know object of this comic is to you know wishful thinking almost so i mean i i think i'm more forgiving of it in that like you know well it would be awesome if they could do this but i don't think he was like entirely you know hell-bent or serious that he thinks that it would be possible yeah yeah that's true that's true because i mean a lot of this is very tongue-in-cheek so i mean if there's there's there, there may be mockery going on on both ends you know like you, you may look at something and chuckle and say oh this is the 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 makings of an asinine you know screenwriter from hollywood who's patting himself on the back but then again it, you know you may also be able to laugh and go ah these are the ramblings of a you know insane fanboy who thinks that you know he can actually you know, put together a, you know, $100 million Hollywood blockbuster and know how to do it better than the people who are actually already doing it, you know? So, yeah, it is probably a double-edged sword. But, I mean, like, otherwise, like, you know, like, I enjoyed this. I think I was maybe a little disappointed that it was, <laughs> ironically, like, taken so seriously. Like, I, when I first heard of this, I was kind of hoping it would be, like, that Angel, like, annual, where they uh, retold, yeah. like, that, that whole, like, Trapped in Hell arc, but, like, as a Hollywood-upped movie or whatever. And, like, that was, I thought that was hilarious. But this is, like, like I said, it's insane, but, like, Tom Scioli took this, like, seriously, almost, like, in a weird way. Yeah, I, I, I think it's one of those things that will look better in retrospect in a collected edition as like a bonus or a supplementary piece of, of material rather than something that you examine just on its own merit. I mean, this seems like something you need to have read the 13 issues of Transformers versus GI Joe to really appreciate at all. Yeah. 
I mean, like, I, I like, like, I'm not, obviously, I'm not one of those people who are like, Tomsky always art is like baby shit or whatever. So, I mean, I liked seeing his art again, but I, I was kind of hoping for something else. Like, I, like, I was hoping for something a little more tongue-in-cheek, I guess. Even, even though, like, it's, it, this is kind of tongue-in-cheek, like, the actual story itself was taken kind of seriously. Yeah, yeah. And I bet maybe there's a danger of, of, of going too far with the tongue-in-cheek. You know, it's not like he could... Well, maybe he could, but maybe it, it's something that might have been frowned on. But can you imagine if this was done with the character designs of, like, the Bayformers and, like, everybody was drawn with, like, Dwayne Johnson's likeness or or, or uh, Tatum Channing's license or something like likeness, something like that, and, and, and kind of make it this weird bastardization of, of his miniseries, like, but he does it himself, you know? Like, that, that might be interesting, too, but maybe there's, there's some sense of that that would be frowned upon, you know, if, if it was something done in that general direction. Yeah. I mean, that's really all I have to say about this. I don't know if you have any closing thoughts. Uh, I mean, I, I just that I sort of agree with you that this is I, I don't know that I'd call it a disappointment, but I think I think you have to come to it with the, the mindset that this is a, a kind of, you know, epilogue, a bonus piece, uh, uh, sort of supplementary piece of material to uh, a pre-existing maxi series and it, you know that that you you might not get as much out of this without putting it in context with that previous material but yeah that's that's pretty much all i've got on it myself Take your that. hey this is mike and i'm here with another review for fan holes figure that uh, today I'm going to be talking about uh, Power of the Primes, Dreadwind, and Blackwing. Uh, they're two uh, deluxe figures that were just released in the most recent Transformers line. They're remakes of, obviously, G1, Dreadwind, and Darkwing. I guess they couldn't secure the uh, trademark to Darkwing, so they had to call him Blackwing. I'm not sure exactly why they couldn't secure Darkwing, but I suspect it might have something to do with a certain duck. I mean, if I were Hasbro, I wouldn't want to take on Disney either, so yeah. These two guys have been highly anticipated by me and I'm sure other fans, as a, like a new, at least newer versions of them have been. Um, there were remakes like of them in previous like generations or classics lines. Uh, Dreadwind had a BotCon exclusive toy that was a remold of uh, Classics Jetfire, and uh, Darkwing had a redeco of uh, Classics or Generations Silverbolt, and he was just a straight up redeco with no real retooling. But I mean, we kind of wanted new versions of these guys, so like Hasbro finally delivered. And I mean, I mean, like these two are like two of my like personal favorite characters in the in the franchise like i like i love their buddy dynamic their like gothy depressed like view of things and I, I think they're a good comedy duo almost you know in a way and i think they're also kind of badass too like i really liked you know their portrayals in the marvel comics and like in stormbringer and idw unfortunately uh they haven't had much to do on idw since stormbringer and in fact dreadwind is technically dead at this point and 
you know, with the main IDW continuity ending at the end of uh, 2018, uh, we might not ever see either of them again, so whatever, maybe next continuity. But anyway, like, I'll start talking about them. Uh, Dreadwind was the one who came out first. Uh, He is actually a retool of Combiner Wars Skydive, and uh, he's got a new head that looks just like his G1 head, a new gun, and uh, new shoulders and arms, I think, and Uh, Oh, and his wings, like, have a new, like, sort of hinging mechanism that, like, allows for some stuff that I'll get into later on. But, uh, you know, he's pretty good. It was, like, that's a good, the skydive mold is a pretty good mold. Um, He's got good articulation, you know. His, like I said, his head sculpt is really good. Um, He also comes with a a Prime Master armor, which is double, like, it's kind of like this block that doubles as a fist because uh, since he's you know made from sky combiner wars skydive he can turn into an arm and he doesn't have a neither of these guys have a specific gestalt to uh, connect to but you know it's it's good that the option is there uh the prime armor kind of like the intended gimmick of the power of the primes line is to get the little prime master like mini figures and plug them into the prime armor and i guess you know then you plug the prime armor into dreadwind's chest and I guess he can access the power of whatever Prime Master he has. Well, you know, whatever. I don't I don't care about any of that stuff. But, <laughs> I mean, it's I guess, you know, they have to have a line-wine gimmick that, like, works with everyone. So I guess that's this. And, you know, the combiner thing is just to sweeten the deal. But um, the Prime Armor, like, piece, like, aside from being a hand, like, for a Gestalt... It also, like, you know, they did put some effort into molding it. Like, it's it's molding, like, on the outside kind of looks like Dreadwind or Darkwing's, like, Power Master engine from, you know, G1. So that's a nice touch. His paint apps are good. Uh, his, you know, some of the newer toys have those cruddy-ass foil stickers on that look like they'll peel off at any second. But his seem pretty... I think he's mostly painted anyway. And if, if he does have any of those stickers, they seem pretty stable. Moving on to Blackwing or Darkwing, uh, same basic deal as uh, Dreadwind in concept. Uh, he's a remold of Combiner Wars Air Raid. He's got a new head, new shoulders, I think new forearms and new wings, like on a new assembly that like uh, can kind of swing around and, like I said, is important for some other things. And he also has two pistols that he comes with that are new. And he also comes with the same prime armor piece that Dreadwind did. And it's it's not really painted, it's just solid blue. And like I said, it turns into a hand, so like Darkwing can turn into an arm for a Gestalt. And, uh, you know, you can put a prime master figure in the little, like, uh, cavity inside it. He's got that cool lightning bolt pattern on his wings that his uh, original toy had. I guess my only real, like, criticism of him was that, and I guess this applies to both Dreadwind and the Combiner Wars uh, jets that they're both retooled from. His tail wings, like, especially the top two, are really rubbery, and when I took Blackwing out of his package, his tail fins were already kind of warped. So that doesn't, they're all, like, curvy, so I gotta either, like, blow dry them and hold them in place, or do some kind of trick to make them, like, right again, if that's possible. Otherwise, he's a pretty decent deluxe, like both of them are. Their main attraction is basically they can do their uh, Dreadwing trick, like from G1, like where they, their plane modes combine into a larger, like, super jet. I don't know how successfully these new toys pull that off, especially because uh, Blackwing is the main connector to the two of them, and he only has, like, this little connector peg that flips up out from behind his head, and... 
that's the only connection point these two have in jet mode so like you're not you're not going to be able to you know get really rough with the combined super jet mode because he's just going to fall straight off dreadwind i really looked to see if there were any other like stabilizing points between the two but there aren't and their wings can kind of come like you know touch each other and like make a giant sized wing on each side but it doesn't look very good like no matter what way you can do it in a number of ways and no matter what way you do it it kind of looks kind of silly so i don't know how successful it was i'll give hasbro credit for actually you know making the effort to make sure these two characters could do that however i can't help but wonder if they had a little put a little more budget into these guys that they could be really good instead of just you know acceptable good Still, I am glad that they made new versions of these guys. Obviously, like, Care went into making them just like their G1 toys, or, you know, at least trying to have his, the same gimmicks as their G1 toys while still having some, like, you know, whistles and bells, like being able to become combiner arms, or legs, really, If but although the Prime Masterpiece only functions as a hand, but you can, you know, snatch someone else's foot piece. Like, that, those are all nice touches. I just kind of feel like, you know, these guys could have been better. But, you know, I'm, I'm satisfied for now. I'm surprised Takara hasn't uh, announced that they're going to be redecoing these guys as, like, their Japanese equivalents, Hydra and Buster. But I, I don't know, maybe, you know, Takara seems to be scaling back on their own Transformer budgets recently. So, like, maybe that's not in the cards. So, I don't know, maybe it'll be an exclusive down the line. But I recommend these guys, but they could have definitely been better. And I probably wouldn't say no to larger, better versions of them in, like, the future at some point. But in any case, yeah, Blackwing and Dreadwind. Uh, pick them up. Dreadwind should be widely available by now. Uh, Blackwing is just kind of hitting markets, like, as I record this. So, there, I think the standard U.S. retail, at least, is, like, 16 17 bucks. So, I wouldn't pay anything more than standard for them. But, you know, they're, they're solid for their price. So, this has been Mike with another... All right, well, I I think that wraps things up for tonight of Transformers Tuesdays. If you guys have any comments, questions, and or concerns, if you think this is all drawn like baby shit and with Crayola crayons like I've read on message boards or whatever from asinine posters, you can send your angry, angry emails to fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We're on the fanholespodcast.blogspot.com, and we can be found on all kinds of social media. We are on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. You can leave us likes, messages. We're on iTunes. You can stream us on Stitcher Radio. So there are all those means to access the podcast and leave us feedback. And we appreciate any likes, retweets, notes, and all that good stuff that we encounter. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, rolling out. Hey, it's Mike. Uh, I'm... I'm just going to be a big rubber-suited Optimus Prime, not a CGI Optimus Prime. <laughs> In cardboard town. Yes. <laughs>
right. I wonder. I wonder if the Megatron AI like went crazy and killed everyone in the cast, like at the end or something. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. I, I felt like that could have been a, a recipe for disaster. Pamara <laughs> does whatever a Pamara can, I guess. Did your Did your Pamela work? Like did that sort yeah, of stuff my, out? Yeah, mine still works. Like I don't know. Like yeah, I'm, I've got like the only working version of Pamela now. It seems like. I think so because yeah. every you know I know mine. I gave up a long time ago. And what's funny is I I did occasionally, you know, like poke my head back into the Facebook page for, you know, the the page for the product and everything, and they keep you know churning out like we've released like the new update that totally fixes everything and then you see like 20,000 like angry replies where they're like fuck you this works this <laughs> shit doesn't work fucking fuck you know <laughs> it's like there's a bunch of posts like that where and 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 you're just kind of like laughing your ass off cuz clearly what you know it's like most people are like you guys have hosed yourselves like everybody in that thread has switched to something else 